taken from Psalm 1, all the verses. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve, for praying, and Paul for reading. Thank you. Um, I just want you to know that uh, today, what we do in Shadon Church normally is we go through the books of the Bible, um, and we go through it expositionally. We go through um, the, the details, sort of the meaning of the text. But for the next four weeks, we're going to do slightly something different. Um, we're going to go through it topically. And uh, this is a resolution series. Uh, topically, we're going to go through different topics. Um, and today is the Bible reading. And we'll see um, some of the, uh, the, the pictures from Psalm, Psalm 1. But if you're interested in what, the Psalm, what Psalm 1 actually teaches, I actually have preached on this um, before a couple of times I shot in church, and you can find it on the website. But let me pray for us that God will speak to us through this passage and, and through this topic. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it, is, um, it gives us life. Um, it helps us to thrive and, and bear fruit um, in, the, in this world. And Lord, we pray now that by your spirit you would speak to us, uh, that we might hear you speaking through me. Lord, we, would you, um, by the power of your spirit, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the, um, an average American apparently spends about two, and, uh, two hours and 40 minutes watching TV each day. That's each day, two hours and 40 minutes. They see somewhere between 300 advertisements to 5,000, depending on how much time you spend on TV and on the Internet. And apparently people spend about three and a half hours on the Internet. And there might be more or less in Hong Kong, but three and a half hours is a lot of time um, consumed in the media. And the things that we read and watch and consume, they entertain us, they inform us, but they also shape us. They shape us because all these things that we watch and see and interact with them in the world have a story to tell. They're constantly telling us this different world, uh, uh, different things about the world. They tell us stories. Social media, for example, tells us, I think, that life worth living consists of good food, <laughs> vacations, and maybe parties um, that we go to. Advertisements tell us, constantly tell us that our self-worth, who we are, our values and worth is tied to the things that we own. And so it tells us to own different things, better things, more things. Movies tell us how we can be anything that we want to be if we just try hard enough. Or it tells us the story of maybe not conforming to the world but following our own heart. Friends, the Bible 
that tells us a different story. The Bible tells us a different story, God's story. And more than anything else, this story of the Bible should shape who we are, how we think about the world, how we think about ourselves um, and others, because this is God's story of interacting with us. This is God's story uh, from an inspired, um, uh, inerrant word of God. The series title for the next four weeks is Resolutions, and I hope it'll get us to read the Bible more, to worship with others more, to be generous and to pursue holiness together. But the most fundamental to all of it really is, I think, the authority of the Bible. Uh, that we read the Bible, that we are shaped by it, because the Bible should shape the way that we see the whole world, the way that we interact with the whole world. It, it, it is fundamental to everything that we're going to talk about. And I hope that you'll see today that while reading the Bible, we should uh, be steeped, we should seek to be steeped in God's story not just looking for information, but to be part of God's story. And also, not just to read for information, to be part of God's story, but also to see that God seeks a relationship, that God wants to speak to us through the Scripture, that we should be seeking a deeper relationship as we read the Bible, and also that we should aim to read the Bible with the attitude of submission, to listen to Him and not to challenge Him. Well, we're going to go to Psalm 1, and Psalm 1 pictures a person whose life is truly blessed. Blessed is he, right? It starts out, he does not walk or stand in the si- or sit in the company of evildoers, but he delights. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. I had a Greek professor a long, long time ago who in the middle of teaching, um, the class just sparked and he said, ah, I have never seen this form of this verb conjugated in this way before. And I thought to myself, wow, you need a better life. <laughs> um, you know, he was delighting in this, just this obscure word that he saw. And maybe, you know, there are lawyers and judges who delight in the law like that. Maybe they think to themselves, ah, you know, this, this, this law is my favorite because, or whatever, But actually, that's not what the law here that the psalmist is talking about. The law that the psalmist is talking about is a shorthand for the entire Bible, at least the Pentateuch. The Bible is not just a list of rules. If you spend any time in it, you see that it's a story. It's full of stories. And of course, there are laws there, but the laws are there as part of the story, the bigger story of God and God's interaction with his people. These 66 books of the Bible tell the story of God's creation and the fall and our running away from God and God's pursuit of us, God's sending of Jesus and his plan for, the, uh, for now and for the future. Blessed is the one who, medita- who delights in that story, in the God that is revealed there, in the story of God, the whole picture of God who meditates on them day and night. Friends, if the scripture is going to be authoritative in our life, it should be authoritative in the right way. We should be reading it the right way. And part of that means committing to read the entire Bible and not just bits and pieces about it, from it. Because it's very dangerous 
to know just part of the story. It's dangerous to isolate one part apart from other parts of the Bible. For example, reading the Ten Commandments. There's Moses giving the Ten Commandments. Reading the Ten Commandments by itself in isolation is dangerous. Why? Well, because you might think, reading the Ten Commandments by itself, you might think, you might walk away thinking that Christianity is all about rules, all about doing the right things, all about God telling you what's right and wrong and you obeying. And you forget that it comes in the context of God's rescue, that God loves us, God is gracious to us, and He wants us to live differently because He wants to thrive in this world as our Maker. To have the law apart from grace is dangerous. And, you know, the other way is true, too. To have grace apart from the law is also dangerous. I mean, as we uh, heard last week, that, make, that cheapens grace, right? It makes mockery of grace. Grace without law cheapens what God has done for us on the cross. And we shouldn't read the Bible as if we're reading sort of an a encyclopedia, a, a reference book. Once again, you might th- this is how a lot of people read the Bible, right? Some people think, well, what does the Bible say about different issues? I mean, say abortion. What does the Bible say about abortion? Well, you might walk away studying that little piece um, of, of, of the Bible. You might walk away with the right view of abortion, God's view of abortion. But if we treat the Bible that way, once again, we miss the important bits about that. Not just that God cares for the vulnerable, right, and, 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 and the, the weak and the helpless, but how also God forgives, uh, how God wants to love everyone who comes um, to him, how the church is tasked with the burden of carrying one another's burdens, how it, it is our job also to care for the poor and the weak amongst us. We miss other bits of the Bible that is very, very important that has to do with abortion, but you don't just take that little piece out. We need to read the whole book because the whole book is revealed to us as God's story, God's interaction with us. In fact, many commentators and scholars these days have been talking about how the culture of the West, the Western culture, in many ways is disastrous in part because it has isolated some. It, It has internalized some of the Christian message but not others. The Western world, for example, promotes tolerance, tolerance and love. And of course, these are Christian virtues. But tolerance and love without the, the, the rest of the story, pure, pursuit of purity and holiness of God, well, that makes a kind of tolerance that gives us a tolerance that uh, says anything goes, anything goes in this world. Or think about the cancel um, cancer, uh, cancel culture. Cancel culture, the, the origin in some ways is Christian, right? We want to pursue justice. We, per- we want to pursue righteousness. But if we pursue righteousness and justice, I mean, if we isolate that bit of the Bible, apart from the rest of the story, what you get is harsh justice. Justice that has no place for mercy, The justice that says you are canceled and there's no way for you to come back because there's no story of forgiveness. There's no way to reintegrate that person into the world. We get this self-righteous, harsh justice that we see sometimes in the world. 
G.K. Chesterton wrote in his book, Orthodoxy, he wrote, the modern world is full of old Christian virtues gone mad. The virtues have gone mad because they have been isolated from each other and are wandering alone. Thus, some scientists care for the truth, and their truth is pitiless, without mercy, truth without mercy. Thus, some humanitarians only care for pity, and their pity, I'm sorry to say, is often untruthful. To have truth only um, without mercy is dangerous. To have mercy and love without truth is also dangerous. Christian virtues isolated from each other, wandering alone, will go mad. Friends, the entire book, the whole of the Bible, 66 books are given to us. We ought to read the whole thing, and we ought to read little pieces with the big story of God's picture in mind. So this year, will you resolve to read the Bible? Let's read God's Word together. Let's grow and be rooted and steeped in God's Word together. I've brought a few copies of um, these Bible reading plans. There are three different kinds, chronological, McShaney plan, and... um, Other plans are at the back in the welcome table. If you have never read the Bible, the whole thing, could I challenge you to do it in 2024? And if you want to do it with other people, let me know. I'll pair you up with somebody else who wants to do the same thing, and I'll help you to learn to read the Bible. But let's read the Bible together. And if you want books, um, the the, uh, Von Roberts' book, uh, God's Big Picture, is a great book. If you want to go dig deeper into it. I've really been helped by a book called Biblical Critical Theory that actually is about the whole book. Pick up these copies of these books and read the whole book. See overall story of the book and let's be steeped in God's story. And once again, I hope you've been seeing how it's, it, it, we don't just read for information. That we are um, to, uh, while we read the Bible, that we are to seek a deeper relationship with God. Read it while expecting to see God to speak to you. Because if you spend any time reading the Bible, of course, what you will find is that the Bible is about God's relationship with us and how God pursues us. You know, God has created us in the very beginning. He speaks to the world into existence but he speaks with God's people. He speaks to us, with us. He longs to speak with us. And we're told that we are God's sons and daughters, the bride of Christ, the friends of God, because we are made to be in relationship with God. And the Bible isn't just a record of what was said in the past. The Bible is the way that God speaks to us today. He speaks to us today. The writer of Hebrews 4, uh, there he quotes from Psalm 95. And he quotes this ancient psalm, Psalm 95, and he quotes it and applies, applies it to people, the readers, that day. He quotes Psalm 95 saying, Today, today, if you hear his voice. Because he assumes that as, he re- as people read or hear the uh, book of Hebrews, that they will hear God speaking to them, God addressing them. And so he goes on to write in the same chapter, in chapter 4, verse 12, this famous passage, for the word of God is alive. It's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Friends, 
the Word of God is alive. It's live and it's active. It's the way that God speaks to us. God interacts with us. The thing is, I know that many people, when they, many people would rather uh, hear from God somewhere else other than the Bible. You know, I don't know if you've, you've had this experience. You know, you pray to God and you, God, you ask God to speak to you. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You ask God to speak to you, maybe through this uh, inner conviction, you know, the, the voice of conscience that, that comes uh, firmly. Maybe through the Spirit, you want God to speak to you that way. Or better yet, you want God to speak to you audibly. <laughs> you want God to, in booming voice, say, this is what I want you to do. This is how you ought to live your life. So we do that, but we neglect to read the scripture, the place where actually God has promised to speak to us. God has promised to speak and shape us. And we should note that when God speaks to us in audible sort of booming voice, you know, this is rare occurrence even in the Bible. Graham Goldsworthy is a scholar who writes about the, the, the whole of the Bible, but one of the things that he says is whenever God speaks in that booming voice or audible voice, it's to these pivotal characters um, in times that are very important in the Bible's storyline and God's interaction with us. No, no, normally you don't see God speaking to normal Israelites. Not like that. And besides, even if God spoke to you in a booming voice, how are you to know that that's God's voice and not the devil's? You know, if, you, we, if we're not steeped in God's word, if we don't hear his voice regularly, how are we to discern whether what God is saying is actually God and not something else? What we need more of is not more special revelation or, uh, 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 or direct revelation, but the Holy Spirit's work of illumination. As we read the Scripture, we want the Spirit to speak to us, to make these words come alive and speak to us directly. So before you read the Bible, you should pray. You should pray for a deeper relationship with Him, that God would speak to you, to your conscience, that God, by the power of the Spirit, would convict you in your heart what God is saying. I recently heard of two people's response to the same sermon. One person said, well, you know, that was good, but there's nothing really special, extraordinary about that sermon. Um, another person heard the same message, and he too admitted that the ideas of the sermon, well, you know, like things that you find in other sermons. But this person was moved. This person was changed. Why? Because this person said, well, he heard God speak to him through the sermon. God addressing him personally as he sat in the sermon. When he was listening to those ordinary words, he heard God using those ordinary words to speak to him. And that's the goal as we read the Bible. You know, when you read the Bible every day, you're not going to learn new things every day. That's not the goal. You speak to your wife, your husband, uh, to your loved ones every day, not to learn new information, but to deepen that relationship, to find out more about what's going on uh, with that person. You want that person to speak to you because relationship is the goal. Friends, will you read the Bible this year in that way, expecting God 
to speak to you, to change you, to address you personally, and not just to read information for information in the scripture. We listen to deepen our relationship with God, and of course that means we listen also to obey with the attitude of submission, especially when we come to uh, parts that we dislike or maybe even disagree with. I know that this is tough. The Bible has all sorts of things that you might not like. And actually, lots of people don't read the Bible in this way. They pick and choose. Uh, I read this week a blogger at Medium um, who blasted those who read the Bible as a whole, as a unified voice. He said, basically, that we need to pick and choose uh, from the Bible what we want to hear. He wrote, life and chance and even the text itself demands that we choose what we believe in the Bible. We must remember, as Emerson warned, that a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. To read the Bible as a whole, as a consistent book, he says, is a sign of little, having a little mind. And I thought to myself, wow, he hasn't read Jesus, has he? Because that's not how Jesus reads the Bible. Jesus reads the Bible as one unified voice. Uh, God's word spoken, uh, a word that cannot be changed, that should not be sort of picked and chosen from. And this is what Jesus said about the Old Testament. For I, truly I tell you, until the heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Not even a little thing will change. I can't change a little thing from the Bible because it's God's word given to me. Even the littlest bit is God's word. And he quotes from the Old Testament all the time. He teaches the Old Testament. He lives by the Old Testament. In fact, it's pretty clear that Jesus read the Old Testament and he shaped his life around it, shaped his mission as the Messiah around it. You know, for, for, Jesus says things like, I must die. Well, why does, he, why, why does he have to die? Well, because it's written in the Old Testament. In the scripture, in Isaiah, we see a suffering servant, a servant who dies for, the, for his people. You see, his mission is shaped by the Old Testament. He believes that it is God's word given to us. He says all of the Old Testament points to me. And then he makes provisions for the New Testament to be written. If we obey the Bible, it's because... Jesus, it's because it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the book that Jesus obeyed, that Jesus did so, because, and Jesus is our Lord. And friends, if it is God's word, it should challenge us. It should say things that we don't like or we disagree with. If God agreed with us in everything, it probably means that it, we're just, that's just a figment of my imagination and not God himself. 2023 was the year of the AI, right? Artificial intelligence. Many expect that the world will be changed because of the AI. And some, but some are worried. Sam Altman, the, the ChatGPT CEO, he's worried that, uh, that it might spread disinformation 
Elon Musk famously says he's worried that he thinks it's more dangerous than nukes, than nuclear bombs. Well, why? Because he's worried that there might come a point where AI will develop what's called general intelligence, a mind of its own, a will of its own. And he thinks that when that happens, happens, it's inevitable. Because it's smarter than us, it will contradict human beings. It will go against what we think is right. And that it will put us in some existential crisis as a result. That's what he's worried about. So we expect AI to contradict us, to challenge us, to think differently from us, and we're preparing for it, and yet... Many people, when it comes to God, they say, well, God should just affirm what I already know to be true, right? Isn't that their attitude when we come, when the culture, what the culture believes about homosexuality or transgenderism? They say, well, it, God, should just expect, God should just affirm what I believe in already. Or uh, hell, hell shouldn't exist. Of course, God shouldn't uh, allow people to go into hell, or that, uh, that, that there's sort of salvation in all religions. That's what I believe. So God should also believe that as well. Friends, if God is God, God will say and do things that you don't like and you don't understand. I expect that from my parents. How much more should I expect from God himself who knows much more, who is much greater than I am? So first we should examine our attitude when it comes to the Scripture. When we read the Bible, we should expect the Bible to challenge us, how we think about the world, our reason, our morality, our sense of right and wrong, and we should be shaped by God and His Word and not seek to try to shape God in my own image. We should seek to submit to him as we read his word. And thankfully, submission, I think, is easier. It becomes much, much easier when we read the whole of the Bible and when we see the story of the Bible and when we put the difficult bits in the context of the whole picture. Once again, let's take the LGBTQ issue. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say things like this. They say, well, you know, there are gay penguins in the world, and uh, apparently there are. But, of course, the problem is that our story doesn't sto uh, start with this fallen world. Remember, the story of the Bible starts with the creation. When everything was good, there was no evil and sin and death. There is no misshapen desires of our hearts. That's where the story starts. What's natural to for the Christian isn't what's happening in the world, but it's what happened when God created the world. And we should recognize that it, the fall happened, <laughs> that sin happened. Our desires and our wants are now distorted. It's not the way that they're supposed to be. We're not to take our cues from fallen world, even if they're from cute penguins. You see, Understanding the story helps us to uh, obey and submit and understand um, he, uh, God and His uh, Word. And not only that, if we read the Bible as a whole, I hope you will meet Jesus. I hope you will meet the Savior who has created you, 
who has sustained you, who has pursued you and rescued you, who went to the death on your behalf to die for your sins so that you could have a bright future in the, when he comes back, that he has sent the Spirit. And he's not just a God who's aloof from suffering, but he is suffering with you. He is with you right now. As, you, as we read the Bible, I hope you'll meet Jesus. And if you meet Jesus, that you'll know that as we read the Bible and we submit to the words of the Bible, we're submitting to that God, God who loves us, God who doesn't abuse his authority, but who wants us to flourish. We submit to him because he is a good God, and that's what we find in the Scripture. Americans, once again, spend three and a half hours Three and a half hours on the internet. Hong Kong, at least the youth, I think, might spend more than that. Friends, this year, let's be shaped by God's word. What he thinks about us. What he thinks about the world. His story. Let's delight in them and meditate on them. And let's seek a deeper relationship with them. And let's seek to obey his word, to submit to him. Because these words will bring you life. They will bring you life. And what will sustain you? What will give you strength and joy when you go through times of depression? It's his word. The scripture will give you that strength. You know, when you are facing deepest failures and you think that you're not worth anything, what will fill you with his presence? It's his word. The promises in his word, as you grab onto them, as you meditate on them, as you recite them, he he will fill you with his presence. And as you face death, as you face death, the bleakness of death, what will fill you with the bright hope is not newspaper articles or it's not just nuggets of wisdom from somebody else, but it's the hope that you will find in God's word spoken to you at those times. So friends, will you read the scripture? Will you, meditate, will you delight in them? Will you meditate on them day and night? And you will be like a tree planted by the waters, bearing fruit in due seasons. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray that we'll be a church that delights in the Bible in the words that are given to us, even the bits that we don't understand, that we, don't, we find it hard to accept. Help us to submit to your word and help us that through them we would come to know you better, that we would grow in deeper relationship with you. And may our lives bear fruit as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.